So we have spent, this is our third week in this passage, uh, chapter 10, 1 through 11, chapter 11, verse 18, because this really is one of the, the, the big hinge in Acts of, of what's going on here in God's unfolding plan. Uh, what was promised long ago in the prophets comes to culmination here. And so this has just been uh, an amazing story as we see God intervening in several ways and, and we see this uh, opening up for us. But as we, we, before we hop into it, I, I just want to just highlight uh, what's happening here is God's power to change hearts and, and overcome hurdles. And again, I've been talking about that a lot in the book of Acts. And, and we have in, in this section here, the greatest prejudice of all, uh, the Jews versus the Gentiles is overcome. But it's, it's not just Jews versus Gentiles, right? We're really good as human beings at, at causing division, right? I mean, again, junior high and high school are known for cliques, right? You, you, you find like people and you exclude others and you look down on others. And we're just so good at that. But it doesn't just happen in high school and junior high. It happens throughout all of life. And we're, we've seen it over the last year in real dramatic fashion, right? Uh, with the, the, just the, the different riots about race and all that. It's just, it's a turbulent time. And, uh, but the gospel makes a difference when we look at this. Jesus Christ is the only real answer. Um, and we'll talk about that again a little bit, but I, I do, uh, the one thing that, you know, when we look, we can look at examples like apartheid in South Africa. I mean, the older, those of us older will remember that. But, and we know of the history of the South and slavery in the U.S. Or even, or, or even you know, the, the race riots that have happened here in Southern California. It's all across the land. But the problem is, it's also entered the church too, right? This idea of prejudice and us versus them. I want to read you this. This is something that challenges me. It's from a, a previous generation, but it's still something for us to consider. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during his student days, he read the gospel seriously and considered converting to Christianity. He believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he could find the solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. So one Sunday, he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the sanctuary, however, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. Here's what he said. If Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from trusting him as Savior. Now, we know that God is sovereign over salvation, but that's something that should challenge us, right? And so, again, this portion of Scripture is not about racial prejudice, but it touches on it. It touches on the, it shows how the gospel of God is powerful to change hearts, no matter your language, your religion, your skin color, the gospel will win, right? That's the answer for what's going on in the world today, whether it's, you know, the riots happening here or wherever, okay? Jesus is the answer. And any solution that comes up 
that they come up with outside of God and his answer in Jesus Christ is going to lead nowhere. It's going to only lead to more confusion and more destruction and more conflict. God is the key person in all this, right? So this is going to be a talk about, you know, social justice or anything, but that's something just for us to think about because we were just having a conversation with a, a friend uh, who's just moved to the area and she had, has had experiences uh, where so many, at churches, where they talked about all the social justice and all this going on and their, their discussion totally left God out of the picture. It was this study and that study and this school and that speaker and, and it was, they left God out of the picture. It's like the Bible had nothing to do with what they were talking about. That's just terrible. So I'm just saying that straight up. The gospel is man's answer to everything. Jesus Christ changes everything. And uh, so again, that kind of, that came to my mind as I was looking at this passage because of what was overcome in this portion of scripture. Because in the gospel, we see uh, the gospel conquering human, religious, racial prejudices, and preconceptions. We just see it. Just, it's bl just blaring in this passage. Because the new covenant is God's sledgehammer. Just busting down anything that gets in the way. Don't miss that. When Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail, he's going to build his church. Folks, we're living proof of that. Throughout the centuries, man and Satan have tried to stop the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it can't be stopped. So this should give us great confidence, you know, in a world of darkness and confusion about who we believe in and the power that he has available through the, just a faithful proclamation of the gospel. Because really, there's, there's not multiple camps multiple groups out there, right? Whether you're black or white or of whatever, or you're from different countries or different skin colors. No, the Bible has two camps, two camps, right? Either gods or not gods. And with God, you have what? Peace, life, hope, freedom in Jesus Christ, salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, righteousness because of Jesus Christ. And if you're not in, in God's camp, if you're not in Christ, condemnation, eternal wrath awaits. I mean, you go down the list, destruction, misery, all that is yours. <laughs> I don't want that. I want the, what the gospel has. And that's what we see happening in front of us in Acts, the great freedom brought by Jesus Christ and it's not freedom in society per se, like we have a great system set up because of Jesus. That's not what his first answer is. His answer is to the problem inside man, our sin problem. When he comes back and sets up his kingdom and then there's new heavens and earth, that's when we'll get the good society. That's when we have the great system of government. No government system here and now will ever save us or be perfect, right? Because there's people involved <laughs> and we're sinners. But here we get to see what the gospel can do to transform people. We, in Acts chapter 9, we had the conversion of Saul. That raging, murdering, threat-breathing, out of control. Remember, the, I talked to you about the, the words to describe him are like a, a, an out-of-control wolf wanting to tear and shred. And yet we see God intervene. And then now we get to see a Roman soldier God fear, and we see his conversion too. But he was a Gentile, 
And that's what's unique about what's going on. So again, we, we get to see here in this passage, the final hurdle is overcome. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 34, because this is where Peter declares the gospel to Gentiles. And I just love this. We looked at it this morning in our evangelism class. It's just started here. So I'm going to read that. We already preached through it, but this just sets the stage. So here Peter, he's, he's you know, received the vision, telling him basically, look, Gentiles are not to be, to be considered unclean anymore. What God has declared clean, don't declare it unclean. He used the vision of the food. Then we have God telling the spirit, or you know, telling Cornelius, hey, I, you're, you're to send people to go get a man named Peter because he's going to bring the message of salvation. And then Peter gets told by the spirit, hey, these, there's two men waiting to talk to you. Go with them and don't, don't show any partiality. Just go with them. And then, when he, and then when he gets there, then Cornelius tells him of his vision and then Peter is now standing amongst Gentiles, and that's, here's what he did. And we talked about this uh, two weeks ago in verse 34 of chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. He doesn't make distinctions. Everyone needs to be saved. <laughs> but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Are they saved though? No, because what was, what was Cornelius known as? A God-fearer, but he still needed to hear the message of salvation. That's why Peter had to come. So let's be clear about that. Good people aren't going to heaven. They need to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. It's throughout Acts. It couldn't be clearer. I have to say it though. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news, gospel, good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, right? The universal king, he's the one, not just of the Jews, but of everyone. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, taking on the curse of God. Right? That's, that's right out of Deuteronomy. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. He really rose from the dead. He conquered death. The resurrection changes everything. He made him to appear not, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He spent almost six weeks with them, the risen Savior, eating, talking, hugging, being with them. And, and at one point, over 500 at one time. This isn't just the select eight or 15, 500 and, and more. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. They have heard the message of salvation, but something happens. 
This is where we stopped last week. Something happens because we've seen in, in previous messages by Peter, pre previous preaching opportunities where he declares the gospel, he goes on from there to say something. What does he usually say? You must repent and believe in his name. But that's not what he gets to do here. And that's where we're looking. We're starting tonight in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, while he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, these six men who had come with Peter, come along from, from Joppa with him, who had come with Peter, were amazed, astonished. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared after seeing this, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. He's like, uh, we have to do what, what we did back on the day of Pentecost because what happened here is what happened then. <laughs> it's unmistakable. In verse 48, And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. What a... What a <laughs> It's like I'd be preaching here and all of a sudden it just, you know, God interrupts and just changes everything. It, 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 it's happened to Peter. So we're going to see, we're going to, we also are going through the rest of the, uh, 11, 1 through 18, but we're going to just stop here because we have to look at this first instead of reading all the way through to 18 of chapter 11. But we're going to see just what's going on here. By a God's amazing grace where he's bringing salvation for all peoples. First, we have the gospel declared by Peter, the, the man that Cornelius was told, hey, you've got to go get him because he's going to bring the message. So Peter gives the message. He brings the gospel. Before he can say you need to repent, they do. <laughs> because Cornelius, he was expecting it. He was a God-fearer. He was ready. He had a heart ready to respond. So the spirit, boom, they were ready. So we get to see, the, the, in this case, we see the spirit's affirmation of Cornelius' conversion. All right, that's what I'm kind of titled that first part there, because the spirit interrupts Peter. It wasn't an interruption by some servant outside saying, hey, hold on a second. No, this was the spirit. It was unmistakable. What was the sign of the spirit? They began speaking in tongues. And what were tongues in Acts chapter 2? Known languages that people from around the, around the world who had come back for Pentecost, the, the Jewish feast of Pentecost, who had come back and they were hearing the gospel, well, they were hearing the mighty works of God in Acts chapter 2 in their own languages. And they're like, uh, these are Galileans. These are uneducated people. How could they know how to speak? And so they listened. But now Peter said, wait, the Spirit, they're speaking in tongues. Now, what tongue do you think they're probably speaking in? I would say probably Aramaic, because who was the Spirit going to be testifying to, to convince? It wasn't the, the Gentiles, because they're ready. They're the ones speaking in tongues. So who are they speaking to? The, the Jews who are there present, who are watching this happen. 
They, and so it was probably in Aramaic. Maybe it was in Hebrew. I don't know. But it was such that they were declaring just like in Acts 2. What were they declaring as they're speaking tongues here? The mighty works of God. Just like they were in Acts chapter 2. The same thing. You guys understand this is key. This is key because when Peter in the next, next segment we look at, his report to the Jews back in Jerusalem, he says exactly this. He goes down. Here's the things that happened. And it was just like happened to us. And here we've got witnesses. So if Peter had been by himself, okay, he, he was obviously the leader of the early church, but he had six men with him. What is six plus one? Seven, right? It says in Leviticus that if you're going to bring a charge against somebody, they couldn't be convicted unless they had two or three witnesses. Well, if you had seven witnesses, it was considered a closed case. <laughs> and so they're watching this unfold. So the Spirit affirmed the gospel is for everyone. Jesus is Lord of all, and to be saved, you have to believe in the Lord of all. But notice, they received the Spirit differently than the Samaritans. How did the Samaritans become followers of the one true God? You have to read back, go back to Acts chapter 8. They had heard Philip had gone up there and he was evangelizing and people were responding to him, but they weren't incorporated. They didn't receive the Spirit until Peter came up, Peter and John. And then they laid their hands on him and they received the Spirit. That was because the Samaritans, you got to remember, they had started a separate religion from the Jews with a rival temple. They did not believe in the temple back in Jerusalem. They had one on, on a different mountain. And they didn't hold to anything beyond the first five books. So they had, basically they were heretics. And they were half-breeds because they had intermixed. So they, there was a lot of animosity. But it was, they, Peter came up and when he and John laid their hands on him, they received the spirit that was both a sign two ways. To the Jews, they're included. To the Samaritans, there's no other place you can, it's under, you're all under the one church under the authority of the apostles. But here, it's different. The Gentiles believe, and they, they receive the Spirit aside of Peter's touch. He's just preaching, and then boom, he's interrupted. He's upstaged. And was God taking the initiative? God, I, I take that like something like, I don't want to demean it, but God, he, he steps in. It's unmistakable. In this whole situation, there was thing after thing that Peter will recount for us in the, when he goes to Jerusalem, and he'll say, look, God intervened this way, this way, this way, and this way. What can you do about it? You can't. God was on the move. There's, it's unmistakable. These, these new believers were true believers. Why? Because the Spirit came in, and Peter didn't do anything. They didn't, a big deal back then, again, were Jews used to Gentiles converting? The answer is yes. They could become followers of, of the God of, of Israel. But what did they have to do? They'd become a Jew, basically. They had to take on the Mosaic law. They'd, if they were men, they had to get circumcised. They had to take on the dietary laws, you know, come to the different feasts. They had to become a Jew under the Mosaic covenant. Things have changed. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit aside from the laying hands on by Peter and they didn't get circumcised. They didn't take, change their eating habits. 
It was, it was the move of the Spirit. So it's evidence that something has changed in the new covenant. And that's what's happening here. Hope now for this Gentile, this man who was a God-fearer, a good man, but now he has real hope. Can you imagine getting a, a vision from God? You're, you meet with an angel. Hey, go send for a man. He's got the message of salvation. You hear the message, the Spirit falls on you. What do you think it's doing to you? What do you think Cornelius is feeling in the midst of this? He's rejoicing. My goodness, everything's changed for him. The gospel is available. He's included into the family of God. Amazing. Bam, the Holy Spirit descends and it changes everything. God intervenes. Divine preparation, divine power. And what does Peter do in all this? He's just being faithful. That's also something for us to take from this. What did Peter do? He was just faithful. Faithful to proclaim the gospel. We're, again, we have that evangelism class we're starting on, you know, started this morning. And, and we're just going, look, we need to learn the gospel. What does the Bible say the gospel is? And we want to get the elements right, right? And, but it's very flexible how you talk, who you're talking to. If you look in Acts, how Peter preached on Pentecost, he was preaching to devout Jews in Jerusalem. So how did he approach them? Heavily on the Old Testament. He's here, he's talking to a God-fearer who was in Israel, so he knew Jewish ways and Jewish scripture, but he approaches him differently. And then when he's in Athens in Acts 17, and we'll see that he approaches them differently. They're biblically illiterate, so he starts from creation in his witnessing. The gospel is flexible, but there's core things we need to include, and that's what, we'll, that's what we looked at two weeks ago. But just keep in mind that he was faithful to declare the gospel. And, you know, when we talk about preparing our testimonies, we all should have a testimony that we could give in an elevator in 30 seconds. Someone asks, you know, if you're given the opportunity. We also should have one we can give in three minutes. And we should also have one that we can spend some time, 30 minutes an hour, where you're just kind of talking about the gospel. But the problem is, is most of our testimonies are about us primarily. Certainly, we should share what we learned and why we were convicted and the changes we've seen and the hope we have, but it's got to be primarily about Jesus Christ. So we, we've got to center on him. It needs to be Christ-exalting. We've got to point them to Jesus because he's the one that brings about this change by the power of the Spirit. He's the one who brought hope to Cornelius. He's the one who brought hope to us. So we see the Spirit affirming their conversion. There's no doubt. It's not up for debate. They were converted. <laughs> and then we see the, the reaction of the men with them, the witness of the witnesses, right? Hey, what did they do? They were amazed, these, these believers from among the circumcised. They were just the Jewish believers that had come with Peter, right? And, and, and why were they amazed? They were astonished because... The gift of the Spirit was poured out even on them, just like on them. Again, you got to remember, their mindset, always remember their mindset. Think about how, what they were experiencing. Go into the text, right? It's shocking to them that Gentiles, the unwashed, the unclean, those outside the people of God would experience the power of the Spirit, It happened to devout, well, of course, devout Jews. You know, they, they know the scriptures. They live in Jerusalem near the temple. They, oh yeah, of course, 
Yeah, they would, they would respond. The Messiah, Jesus is king. He's risen from the dead. Of course they'd respond. Cornelius and his friends are the exact polar opposite from those devout Jews. And yet Peter's companions are watching the spirit do exactly the same thing. They are equally saved. There's no two-tier system, no five-tier system. There's one tier. We all enter the kingdom on the same level. There's no, hey, I'm 10th in. We're all entering together, right? Because it's not up to you and your righteousness. It's because we have Christ's righteousness. And his is perfect and full and all we'll ever need. And when he said it is finished, he meant it. The payment was done. When we're in Christ, we have his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might receive this righteousness. We get his righteousness. He took on the curse for us. This is what they're seeing right in front of them. God didn't show partiality here. He gave the same in the same amount to the Gentiles. God shows no partiality. But Peter is faithful. Can we be faithful in proclaiming? And can we see results like this? Now, we may not see the spirit descend, but can we see souls one to the Lord and they join the eternal family? Yes, because it's not up to us. We are supposed to be faithful to do what? Proclaim the name. Proclaim the gospel, the whole gospel. There's a holy God. We are not holy. And because of our sin, he, the holy God, in his justice demands payment. But he's a loving God and provided who? His son. And his son came and lived the perfect life. Didn't deserve to die, but came to die on our behalf as our substitute. And he came and he died and he paid and he's, he, he took on our sins. He took on the curse. And when he died, he died a real death. He was buried, but he was raised on the third day like he said he would. And what did it prove? That God accepted his sacrifice. He was the propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice. God accepted it according to Romans 1.4. And he returned, proved himself alive. And then he said, hey, go be my witnesses. I'm going to ascend to heaven and I'm going to return one day. When he returns, he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. And he's going to come to reward his people. We can, we can declare that, right? We can declare that because God wins. God reigns. We've got the message. That's what he did. The witnesses saw this happen and they're blown away. <laughs> and they were astonished because the gift of the spirit, by the way, do you buy the gift? Do you pray and say, God, I need, no, the gift was given. It was given by God at his initiation. And it was poured out just like that's the same verbiage from Acts chapter 2. As a matter of fact, many call this, many commentators call this the Pentecost of the Gentile world. Because it was the same effects. It was the same world-changing, new epic era changing thing for them. They're being brought into the family. They did speaking in tongues. They got the gift of the Spirit. And it wasn't, again, they weren't praying for the Spirit. They were praying for salvation. And when they believed in the name for the forgiveness of their sins, they received the gift of the Spirit. Here's what, what Peter said. He said if in 11.17, he says this, If then God gave the same gift to them, 
as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? We'll see that he has to defend what happened later. And he's like, look, the proof was so glaringly obvious that I'm not going to get in the way of God's work. I'm going to rejoice in God's work. Again, they, had, they, they didn't take on any of the Mosaic covenant stipulations, Cornelius and all them. It was they heard the gospel and they believed. No circumcision, no baptism by water, right? Again, they get baptized after they received the Spirit. They didn't get baptized to get it. They got baptized after, right? They didn't take on all these dietary laws and the six witnesses. It's important that these witnesses come along because they will play a role in in front of the church. They understand, based on the evidence of the Spirit, the fact that the Gentiles are equally included into the family of God. We have to remember that. Because again, even when we look around the church, we have a tendency to rate people. We compare ourselves and we kind of put ourselves in this notch. That Now, it's certainly there are definitely mature Christians in the church that deserve our respect and all that. But folks, when we get to heaven, we get in equally, right? And when we look at brothers and sisters, we're not to show, we're not to show favoritism in the church, we're to treat each other equally. Think about that, how that should change our church. And it how, and think about what that should display to visitors, because they should get mobbed. Who cares what they look like, smell like, act like? They should get mobbed by the church. Hey, welcome. We 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 we're glad that you're here. Whether they drive a Mercedes-Benz or roll up on a broken-down bike. They need the gospel, they need Jesus, we do too. If not for the grace of God, there go I. I'd be without God's intervention in my life. So this is so important, what's happening here. God, including the Gentiles. Everything has changed. There is no tiered system, whether you're an Israeli devout Jew, a Hellenized Jew, a Samaritan, an Ethiopian eunuch, a Gentile, a tax collector, a prostitute, a murderer, all can be forgiven and saved and adopted into the family of God by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. That is our message. That is our message. Who is beyond the reach of God? Zero. Right? Don't forget that. We have people in our families, just like problem I've talked to some of you, where you've been praying and praying. You're like, oh, I just want to give up. Don't. Don't doubt God's power. We don't know what his plans are, but he says keep praying. Trust me. Keep praying. Keep trusting that God can change hearts because that's what he's, that's the business he's in. And then Peter declares, hey, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Right? He, he, he says, hey, they need to get baptized. But why? Why be baptized? We already got the gift of the Spirit. Why be baptized? Well, first of all, Jesus commanded that to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian formula, right? Because what does baptism do? Does it change who they are? No. Again, it's the outward, outward act, this symbolic act that tells the world, I belong to Jesus. I belong to him. I believe in him. I confess him. He's the one I'm going to follow to the best of my ability by the power of the Spirit. But also says something to the other people standing around who are also Christians, Oh, family member, 
right? It tells the world, hey, they belong to Jesus. We're going to go after them, maybe. But also to the church, hey, I'm, on, I'm in the family, right? So they get baptized. Again, it's a public testimony, but it it's, it's just goes on to say the, it's proof positive that the Spirit has already come. And then again, this last little phrase, then they asked him, Peter, the, the Gentiles, to remain for some days. And again, <laughs> this is big. Again, don't forget how they thought. Peter will get in trouble. Hey, you hung out with these Gentiles. That's what's, how we go into their next segment here. But here, this is to tell us, look, there's a new fellowship in this new community, the new covenant community. There's a new family. There's new relationships. There's a new desire to grow, to learn, to be more unified, to work at unity. Again, the unity was, Peter even said when he first came in, you yourselves know it's, it's against my traditions to walk into your house. But now he's staying with them. Things have changed and Peter's getting it. Again, we're going to see in the book of Acts that this is actually going to take time for the church to understand because this is, we're talking about centuries, centuries, over a millennia of this thinking, stay away from the Gentiles, they're unclean. They, they'd lost their way. Remember, I, I read Jonah several, several sermons ago. Jonah's attitude, it was that book really serves to indict the Jewish people for their attitude towards the nations. So we get to see things changing here. There's a new community. There's new attitudes displayed by both the Jewish believers and the Gentiles. First of all, Jewish, obviously, these are the hated Roman oppressors, the unclean. But don't forget, those Roman oppressors, what did they think about Jews? Like, not about Cornelius per se, but, well, those rebellious, stiff-necked, they're always rebelling. The Jews were known to be, can known to be cantankerous rebels. And, and also, too, well, those, you know, those, those peasants, those, you know, those weaklings. And again, there's, there's animosity that went both ways, not just Jews towards Gentiles, but Gentiles towards the Jews as well. But that's not being displayed here. Stay with us, please. We see that in Lydia and Phil, when Paul goes to Philippi. And he preaches, and, then, and there's, the church starts there, and they begged him to stay. Why? So they could learn. We got to grow. Please stay. Dear brother, and this, 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 this display of unity, of fellowship is huge. And the church takes notice. Because remember, Cornelius was a centurion. He was part of the Italian cohort. He was known, it says, he was known to the nation of Israel as a God-fearer, as a friend of Israel. Now he's become a Christian. Word's going to spread, and that's exactly what we see doing. That's what kicks off the next chapter but before we go there, just notice the thing that has happened here. God interrupts Peter's sermon. He says, okay, they know enough. Boom! <laughs> they become saved and it changes everything. But folks, think about the hope that he had. It's the same hope we have. We don't have the Holy Spirit smacking us in the face like happened there. But you know what? We do have him here. We have his inspired word with God's promises stated clearly with the evidence of Jesus Christ in his life, his death, his resurrection here for us. And it's been proven through time in history that we have in front of us the real savior, the only hope for mankind. So we can have that same assurance. 
So these stories, you know, they're not just, you know, fictional, or, you know, stories that, oh, those are like kids' stories, you know, superhero stuff. No, this is real. Folks, meditate on this. Soak it in. Don't be so quick to read. I got to get my five chapters in this morning before I go off to work and got, got that done. Awesome. Now soak it in. Imagine what Cornelius and his friends. I mean, think about Cornelius. He was known as a God-fearer. Why was he a God-fearer and not part of the nation of Israel? He didn't get circumcised, right? Now, he was an Italian, I mean, Italian, he was part of the Italian cohort, but he was a Roman soldier, so there would have been ramifications possibly. But the whole point is, is there was big obstacles for him to be coming fully apart. Well, the, the bells of heaven. Yeah. <laughs> So, so before we move on, I mean, just don't forget how earth-shattering this is that we see God breaking down the biggest hurdle of all. So here we go. Now we are looking into the next section, and uh, I'm going to kind of go through verse by verse on this, but there's one section in the middle that I'm not going to explain a lot because it's just Peter recounting what we already went through two sermons ago, where he he's just saying, here's what happened, and he's it's almost verbatim, only it's primarily from his perspective, because we, when we have Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 37, we're getting it, we're, we go to, we start with uh, Peter having a vision, then we go to Cornelius, and we hear from Cornelius about his vision, and then the men he sends, and then we go back to Peter's perspective on, hey, hey there's, you know, the Spirit's talking, and there's guys waiting at the door, and then but in, in 11, we have the same story, but it's only from Peter's perspective as he's recounting it. This is eyewitness testimony because this is so perfect. You can't make it up this way. It's awesome. So here we go. We see now that the church is understanding that Gentiles are now united into God's family. And because of that, the church is rejoicing at the inclusion of the Gentiles. And this is verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were, out, who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. This was not, this didn't stay secret, right? Apostles, who were the apostles? And they were the leaders there at the church in, in Jerusalem. But they're going all about the country, right? We, that's what we found out Peter had been going about. He went from Jerusalem, he was going all around. He ended up at uh, the city where the first miracle happened. Oh my goodness, I just dropped the name. But they ended up at Joppa, what? Lydda, he was at, she was at Lydda, and then he went to Joppa. So he was just going around, and that's what the apostles were doing. They didn't just sit, you know, in their comfortable chairs, you know, their easy chairs back in Jerusalem. They were going out and about, <laughs> waiting for a text. <laughs> so, but the word started to get out, and the apostles heard about it, but also the brethren. It got out into the church. Oh my goodness, something has happened. It's the world, I mean, that's, it's, this is, this is huge, Gentiles are believing, and it wasn't just one, right? We had the Ethiopian eunuch who'd, who'd become a Christian under Philip in Acts chapter 8, and that, that they make, many make the case that's the first Gentile, but this was a group that, who were in mass saved at one time, and he was the hated Roman oppressor, right? So this is big news. It's astonishing news. Don't forget the reaction of those six, those six witnesses. They were astonished. They were overwhelmed at what they were seeing. But here's the deal. They didn't understand all the ramifications. Remember, centuries of thinking, if you want to be a true God follower, 
you become a Jew. You take on, you become circumcised on. And that's going to come to a head again, not till Acts chapter 15, a couple years later. And we'll see that happening. We'll get to that later. But still, they're trying to figure things out. Remember, there's a lot of prejudice and animosity. They're raised in it. But here, you know, they, the Gentiles are included, but not the way that they were before. So this is, this is actually going to lead to a hard break from Judaism. Because up to this point, it's Jewish people becoming Christians. So Jewish Christians are still going into the temple. They looked like other Jews to some degree. They were proclaiming a different name, but they lived the same way because that was their heritage, right? But now with Gentiles coming into the body and being include, included equally, now there's going to be problems with the non-Christian Jews, because these Gentiles are not going to get circumcised. They're not going to, you know, take on the dietary laws. They're not going to act like Jews. And the Jewish non-Christians are going to look at Christianity. And while some definitely saw the difference, Paul, before he became a Christian, hated the Christians. There's many Jews who just didn't treat them differently. Because remember, it says that they had favor with all the people in Jerusalem at one point. But this is going to lead to a hard break from Judaism. Okay, so there's, there's the pots being stirred. They're trying to figure things out. Remember, they didn't get a perfect theology when the Spirit fell on them. <laughs> they had to learn and relearn, right? Just like Jesus had to walk with those two disciples. And what did he do with them? He opened the scriptures to them to help them relearn. Even the disciples who had spent three years with him, with Jesus, they still didn't understand. After the resurrection, it made more sense, but they still needed how much time? Six more weeks with him. And even then, we will find out that Peter and Barnabas, after this event, before the Jerusalem council, still fell to the peer pressure to, it, to not treat the Gentiles the same way. Read about it in Galatians chapter two. You guys will have to understand, they're real people with real flaws. Just because we have problems here in this church, that's normal. Not saying we just overlook it and say it's okay. It's just, but it's normal. Because there's people. You're breathing. You're a sinner. <laughs> Me too. But there's hope. There's hope because God patiently carries his plan forward. We get to see that. So here's a conflict that's going to happen here in verse 2. It's the criticism uh, by, by the, the Jewish party, the circumcision party. They were not Pharisees. Okay, we'll talk about that. That's going to happen later in Acts 15. This is different. All right? So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, those who probably came from a Pharisaical background, they're more sensitive to these things. They're probably not Hellenized Jews. Hellenized Jews, they're living outside of Israel. They're generally a little bit more used to Gentiles. So the ones who are most sensitive were probably of the Pharisaical background. They criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Food and fellowship, okay? Because to eat with somebody is to say, we're, we're family, we're together. And that's, oh, that's, again, they weren't raised this way. 
They, 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 it, this is, it's just their, their whole worldview is needing to change. Yes, Jesus is the only way, but to, to depart from the, the traditions and the Mosaic covenant ways, they don't understand how this works out. That's, that's okay. Because God uses conflict to remove the dross. He uses conflict to sharpen us, to mold us, to shape us. Think of Romans 8, 28 and 29. You all know that. And we know that God works all things together for the good. Does he call all things good? No, but he could work all things together for the good, the good and the bad. But what is the end to which he does it for Christians? Again, that's a promise to Christians. Verse 29, to mold us, to conform us. I like the word whittle because it just kind of has a picture of taking things away and shaping us and molding us. That's a hard process. To mold us or conform us into the image of Christ. So he uses conflict in our lives. He's using conflict in the church to help them grow and change. And that's good. Conflict's not bad, folks. God's still in charge of the conflict. So first of all, he says, the circumcision party, I already talked about, they're probably more sensitive to the Mosaic law and the stipulations. And so they're bugged by this. They're like, they can't handle this. And then they criticize him. Again, in their minds, the Gentiles, they're still unclean. And Peter, you're a Jew. You're, this, is, this is Christianity. We believe in the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. <laughs> and so there's no, they need cleansing. And how were you cleansed according to the Mosaic law? You had to go through the, the cleansing rituals and then also the food. You had to do all that stuff. That's, just, that's how they thought. They didn't understand the radical nature of this new covenant. The gospel that brought the indwelling of the spirit, the righteousness of Christ apart from the Mosaic traditions. Again, I just think about the thief on the cross. We talked about that last week, right? Lance brought him up. What did he do to be saved? He, say, he, he said to somebody else, hey, stop, you know, the other thief. Hey, we deserve to be up. He owned his sin. He stood up for Jesus Christ and he said, hey, please remember me humbly. That's all he did. He knew that he was the savior. He understood that. That was it. Did he go and he goes through cleansing rituals and totally have to change his whole life to get good enough for God? No, he believed in Jesus, recognized his sin and asked for hope. Pretty cool, huh? I love the story of the thief on the cross. Not that it provides a way out, but still, what, what mercy God showed. And how do we know he was saved? Jesus said so. <laughs> and when he says it, we can trust it. But here we see, we see that the, they're just not understanding all this yet. And that's okay. So we have Peter. He, he, he's going to explain God's divine intervention. So he got up and he began and explained it to them in order. He said this. Again, notice what, as, as Peter talks here, it's, he's not going to focus in on what he did to save them. He's going to focus on what happened and what God did to save them. Okay, so just as we go through this. First of all, he says this. Uh, he's going to talk about the, his vision from God about the clean and unclean, verses 5 through 10. Here's what he says. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord. He thought maybe God was testing him. By no means, Lord, 
For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. Completion, right? And all was drawn up again into heaven. So unclean animals, he was told to eat, and it was drawn up into heaven. Can anything unclean go into heaven? No. All right, so it was, it was made abundantly clear. So God's first intervention to make the point clear is God comes to Peter in a trance to give him a vision, to teach him, to get his heart ready. That was the first thing. Then we see a second divine intervention in verse 11 and 12. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent, oh, in, uh, the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And here's the divine intervention. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Go, and doesn't matter that the Gentiles, go with them, all right? And these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So in, back in chapter 10, we didn't know there were six men. We find out here that there were six men that came with them. So we, they, they went two days' journey, well, a day and a half's journey, up to Caesarea, a Gentile city, the seat of the government, all right? And he goes into a Gentile's house, not just any Gentile, a Roman centurion's house, and they have a big crowd waiting for him. <laughs> that's the second divine, hey, go and show no partiality. So that's the second thing Peter lists. Then we have the third thing. And he, meaning Cornelius, told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. Second, or the third intervention, Cornelius tells him about his own vision. Cornelius has been prepared. Cornelius knows, hey, he's a Godfer, but at this point he knows, hey, you're not saved because you need to hear the message of salvation, okay? Folks, it doesn't matter what other religion there is, if they don't, it doesn't matter how good they look, how nice they sound, if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, that Jesus as declared in the, our Bible, not some distorted version, if they don't believe, they are not saved, Okay, and, and this is not so we can point at fingers and say we're so much better than you. It's, no, this is what Jesus said, and this is what's happening here. We, Cornelius is a great example. He was a god here, a good man, but he wasn't saved because he didn't have the name of Jesus Christ to get the forgiveness of sins. That's what it says here. And I'm right, here we go. Then he goes on in verse 15. This is the fourth thing where we see God intervening, right? And this whole, this huge hurdle has to be smashed down. These, this is the fourth thing that God does. And as I began to speak, <laughs> the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning, the beginning of the church on Pentecost. <laughs> God intervenes again. It's the fourth thing that happens. This is a full-on God prepared, planned, and performed, you know, uh, miracle of the inclusion of the Gentiles. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then 
God gave them, gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in the way? Remember, he's answering critics. And he's just saying, look, you guys, these four things happened. What happened to us on Pentecost is what happened to them down there in Caesarea, in my presence and these witnesses. I'm not trying to fool you. This is what happened. It's amazing. Changes everything. I'm not going to get in God's way. As a matter of fact, he uses the same argument that Gamaliel used in Acts chapter 5. Listen to what Gamaliel said when, you know, James and or Peter and John are brought before and they're, they're discussing what should we do with these guys. Let's kill them or do something. Here's what Gamaliel, all right, this is probably the person, I mean, this is the person who Peter or Paul learned under. This was his mentor. So in the present case, verse 38 and 39, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So Peter's using the same arguing. They received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They declared the mighty gift of God. They, that's exactly what happened to us, guys. What am, what am I supposed to do? Stand in the way of the work of God? I'm not doing it. Are you? <laughs> that's the answer. That's what's so amazing. If then God is doing this, who in the heck do you think I am? I'm not doing that. God's proof was clear and convincing. <laughs> Amazing. We, we have the Spirit's interruption, divine interruption, intervention. And then we have the baptism of these Gentile converts, and it convinces Peter. And it doesn't convince Peter, it's more exhorts him. This is real. The six witnesses, the apostles, the general, the brethren in the, of the church, they get it and they accept it. Just this last, these critics, when they heard this, what did the critics do? Ah, uh, we don't believe you. It's not what they said. And when they heard these things, this, the circumcision party, what does it say? They fell silent. Doesn't mean like they were shut down and they walked away. It just means that they were considering it. Maybe somewhat similar to the six witnesses when they saw this, they were astonished. They fell silent, and then what did they do? They glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Hope now. There's unity now in Christ with the Jew, the Samaritan, the, the Hellenized Jew, the Ethiopian eunuch, every walk of Gentiles. The nations are being brought in. This is why Galatians 3.28 is so wonderful. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I've been to other countries and I meet pastors or people in the church. You know what I do to them? I got to hug them because that's a brother or sister in the Lord. I mean, I know you've been to Peru, you've been all these different places. Many of you have been over. And just to meet other Christians, and there's a bond immediately. I mean, it's hard to talk to them because you don't speak the same language. But boy, that, that bond is there, and you're just looking at a forever family. And we get to see that starting here. We get to see that here. There's unity. There's reconciliation. 
by God in Christ that's proved by the Spirit. Nothing gets in the way of the power of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, again, in a day where, you know, voices, you know, there's, you know, more and more of shutting down of voices, if you don't agree with the majority, whatever it is, I don't want to get into politics, but the thing is, is that Christians, we can't lose our voice. Not to win arguments about some social justice, we have to be about the gospel. And don't back down. Again, this isn't about debating, arguing loud or whatever, but we've got the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We, we get to see people here being included. Hated Samaritans, half-breed heretics, physically damaged outside of Israel, the Ethiopian eunuch, the murdering, torturing, raging Saul. All these are examples to, to teach us God is a respecter of no man. He doesn't show partiality. No one's outside his reach. And when, when you become a Christian, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 for, we, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. There is no higher class Christian, right? Just maybe older Christians, <laughs> some of us older and older, <laughs> but we're still all the same, right? We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. The new covenant created a new community based on God's grace by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone. The church, entrance, admission, belonging is not based on anything we do. It's faith in the name of Jesus Christ. It's repenting of our sins. We belong to him. And, and it, Peter says that Peter said all the prophets talked. Here's just a few of the promises about what would happen in the messianic age. What would happen in the Messiah from Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And justice in, in meaning in a good way. Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, the Jews, a light for the nations. That's what this servant, the servant promised the, the, the Messiah, what he would do. A covenant for the peoples and a light to the nations. Isaiah 49, 6, he says, it is, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved Israel. That's, I, I have more for you to do. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is what's being fulfilled here. This is the beginnings. And now we're going to watch the rest of it unfold in the book of Acts. And that's what we get to enjoy. Right away, we see things happening in the Gentile world. And that's what we're going to go into starting next week. But here, there's a couple things. One, don't let the world fool you into thinking you don't have a voice in what happens unless you have certain degrees or you belong to a certain party or you, you espouse a certain doctrine right? Don't, don't, don't be fooled. Don't think that, you know, it's like the, the Wizard of Oz. Don't look, you know, don't look behind the curtain, right? No, we, we've got the truth. Right, let me read you this. I thought this illustration was helpful for, to think on this, but for centuries, people believed that Aristotle was right when he said the, heavy, the heavier an object, the faster it would fall to earth. Aristotle was regarded as the greatest thinker of all time, and surely he wouldn't be wrong, 
Anyone, of course, could have taken two objects, one heavy and one light, and dropped them from a great height to see whether or not the heavier object landed first. But no one did until nearly 2,000 years after his death. In, in 1589, Galileo summoned learned professors to the base of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. He, and then he went to the top and pushed off a 10-pound and a 1-pound weight. Both landed at the same time. The power of belief was so strong, however, that the professors denied their eyesight. They continued to say that our Aristotle was right. Folks, don't let the world pound into you that we don't have the hope for all peoples of all time. Don't believe that you, know, that you have to have the, all these X number of degrees to be effective for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful to what you know. Be faithful to the gospel. You can read the Bible. You can learn. You can take a class like mine, for instance, or the different ones that we have offered, and grow and become more effective. But be confident in the power of God to change lives. Be confident, because he does. I'm looking at changed lives right in front of me. You guys could all, you've all told me how you've changed to some degree or another. When you became a Christian, it was a miracle. You went from death to life. Don't forget that. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. So may the gospel continue to conquer hearts, our hearts, helping us see as Christ sees, to have a heart of compassion for the lost, and a conviction about man's true and holy hope in Jesus Christ. So I pray that for our church. I pray that for us, that we would grow in our love for the lost and our willingness to declare him, right? May we, may we be that light on a hill, right? Matthew, we're supposed to be a light to this, to this dark world. With all of its confusion and conflict, we can bring the Prince of Peace, amen? amen. All right, well, let's uh, close in prayer and then we'll be done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, your word, for the hope we have in you, for your life, your death, your resurrection. We celebrate. We got to just rejoice in that as just because of Easter last week, the resurrection Sunday. But Lord, that's true every day. Every day we have hope that the consequences of your life, your death, your resurrection just continue to make an impact and should make an impact in our lives because we think of you, that resurrection power is the same power you've given us, one, to save us, but then two, to live each day. And it's that resurrection power that, resur that we should be sharing with people so that they can have hope. We're in a dark, confused, helpless, hopeless world. And Lord, you've called us to be your megaphone, your spokespersons, people living out transformed lives. Again, not perfectly, but growing and, and telling people to, to believe in you, commanding them to obey the gospel because uh, that's what it is. It's a command. Lord, may we grow in our, our love for you, our love for others, our compassion, hearts filled with the, the hope of, of you, Jesus Christ, and salvation found in you alone. So Lord, thank you for tonight and for my brothers and sisters here and what we've enjoyed in your word and in the singing too. In Jesus' name, amen.